0: John chapter five, we looked a little bit last week at the authority of Jesus. So Jesus is now coming to a place in his earthly ministry where he's making some claims about who he is as the son of God. And as we picked up in verse 18 last week, we saw that Jesus was saying some things about himself uh, that the Jewish people were giving him a lot of pushback on, right? It says in verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which is what he did at the beginning of chapter five with the miracle he performed, but it says he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So last week we, we looked at those claims that Jesus made that talked about his authority because he did, he did, he did count himself as equal with God. He did call God his father. And we looked at some of the implications that that has uh, for us. When we talked about this idea that who is ruling over your life? Um, Jesus, doesn't, Jesus doesn't share his authority with other things in our life. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Just You got a shelf. You got a life shelf. You just stack me up there alongside everything else you got there. And when you need me, grab me and I'll, I'll step up. That's not the way God operates, if we can say it that way. Um, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus has all the authority of God because it was given to him by God. Jesus uh, was eternal. He was there at creation. He created all things. Um, so we treat his words with a level of authority that we don't give to anybody else. And so remember last week, we looked at some of the implications that that had for us. And so this week, we're just we're taking another dive into um, what that authority looks like. And, and, and what we're going to be looking at is what does it mean for us to actually believe Jesus? What does it mean for us to actually believe the words of Jesus, to believe the person of Jesus? Now, I'm going to make a little bit of a, a nuance here in how I talk about that, because I didn't say believe in Jesus. That's not a wrong way of saying it by the way, but I want to be a little more specific. I want to go a little bit deeper, right? Because we're going to hear in a little bit that there are people who believe in God or they believe in Jesus, right? They have sort of this understanding about religion or spirituality or Christianity that allows them to say, Hey, that's cool. I got you guys over there. I see what you're doing. I'm good with it. I dip my toe in it. That's different than what we are saying, which is that we're not simply believing in Jesus as a way to sort of decide what it is about Jesus that's good and what works for us. But we're saying, no, 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 we, we believe you, Jesus. We believe your words. Let's hear what he has to say as we pick up in verse 30 here of, of John five. He says, I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus speaking. He says, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's talking about God the Father. He says, if, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is, is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And you sent to John, talking about John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. We're going to stop there. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. I, I had a conversation. Uh, I've had an ongoing conversation over the years with a particular individual who is not here. Don't worry. Um, but one of the things that he does when he's with me, and it's probably because I'm a pastor. I don't know. But he likes to inform me. He likes to tell me. He says Ronnie. He says, "I am a very spiritual person." Now I don't know if he's doing that to kind of push me off and say, all right, before you dive into the religion talk with me, just hit your brakes. I'm good. I'm there." But he always describes himself that way to me. He says, I'm a very religious person. I, I believe in a God, I have a faith. And what do people typically mean when they use phrases like that to describe themselves? I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this guy. And I think they, they might want you to know that maybe there is an inner depth to their life, that they are not, you know, they're not simply all about material things. Um, it might be because they, they pray to God or they believe in a, a higher power, something kind of vague and, and hyper spiritual, or they, they spend time reflecting on matters related to their emotional well-being or, or, or even the welfare of others, right? And, and maybe this is, when, even as I describe that, as I describe this individual, may, maybe this describes you in some way. You know, there's this sense of spirituality, that you would say describes you, but to be a, a spiritual person, to be somebody who reads the Bible or even claims belief in God, but yet does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ is someone who is in danger of having what we would say is a false sense of, of autonomy and control over one's life. What Jesus is trying to communicate to the Jewish people and then by virtue of that to us, is that um, he he didn't come to earth so that we might exist in some sort of vague, immaterial, ethereal space, right? Like he doesn't want to exist in, you know, the, the upside down from Stranger Things, right? Where it kind of all doesn't make sense. It's a version of something. It doesn't have a lot of footing. It doesn't have a lot of grounding, right? Jesus is not a... He's not a best-selling self-help author that, that we sort of grab off the shelf when we need some spiritual guidance. It's easy for us to relegate Jesus to those spaces. It's even easy for us who call Jesus Lord, who acknowledge the salvation of Christ in our life, to do that without thinking about it to him. Jesus doesn't want you to simply believe in the deeper things of life. He wants you to believe him, Because he has declared himself the way, the truth, and the life, right? So what we're going to look at here, as we just read, is he, Jesus points to three pieces of evidence that testify to the truth and magnitude of his words. So we want to look at what, what are they, and what do they reveal to us? And I want to say it like this. What do they reveal to us as we navigate the battleground of our own belief? Because belief is a battleground. Belief is something that happens when you are saved, when you enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, when you've trusted him to be your righteousness so that you are standing before God. That's that moment of belief, of regeneration. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But belief is something that is is constant, right? Do I believe more deeply in Jesus today than I did 20 years ago? I think I do. Did I believe Jesus 20 years ago? I did. Is is it more grounded? Is it deeper? Is it richer? Is it more mature? Heck yes. It is by God's grace. So we want to look at, at three pieces of evidence. The first one is this, witnesses. We see Jesus talking about a witness or witnesses. He begins with John the Baptist. He knows that the Jewish people won't receive his own testimony about himself. In fact, if you go back to Old Testament law, it was that there needed to be two or more witnesses for something to be declared declared true. If somebody was going to step up and say, Hey, this is true about this thing or about this person, they would say, great. Get us another witness. So Jesus in some ways is appealing to that, not because Jesus's own testimony about himself wasn't enough. It was. Anything that Jesus said about himself or anything else is enough, right? But he's appealing to their unbelief. And he mentions John the Baptist's testimony for the sake of the people's salvation. Because they wouldn't believe his own witness about himself. He just said, I'm God, believe me, right? All during his ministry, John the Baptist, he'd spoken of Jesus, He'd spoken of the coming Messiah, and the people just flocked to this dude, right? In fact, Jesus describes John as a a burning and a shining lamp who the people rejoiced with as he pointed to the coming Savior, but when Jesus finally came, they just rejected the light. They, They were connected to John the Baptist, but the minute that the person that John had been preparing the way for came into the picture, they just... They pushed back, they hit the brakes, they didn't believe. And in fact, this brings us back to John chapter 1. We read about this in the opening of of the gospel of John. In in John 1, verse 6, if you want to turn there. uh, John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. And he, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, that's John the Baptist, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So John the Baptist was a prophetic witness. He was like an OG prophet, right, from the Old Testament. He was the last of that group of people that were speaking of the coming of God The coming of Christ, all of these different prophecies that you see laid out through the Old Testament, John was a prophetic witness. But the people's hearts, they were hardened. They refused to believe. And you know, it's interesting because we look back through biblical history, we read the stories about men and women who witnessed, who who give witness to us about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And our hearts don't want to believe it. Our hearts don't want to receive the truth. We struggle to believe Jesus. Remember the story, the parable that Jesus told it's about Abraham's bosom. Kind of a strange name, but it was really the story. I, I'm going I'm to summarize the story, but at the end, there was a man there who had died um, without a relationship with Christ. And he was in this place that we would describe as hell um, in most senses of the word. And Uh, Abraham comes to him and says, and he he pleads with Abraham. And he says, I'm in torture. I'm in torment. I'm in a place I don't want to be. And I get it. It's because I didn't believe. And he asked Abraham, he said, look, he goes, can somebody go tell my brothers who are still alive what's waiting for them if they don't believe? Because then they will believe. Abraham goes, no, that's not going to do it. And he goes, well, look, if somebody... Maybe if somebody like me came back, if somebody rose from the dead, then they would believe. Abraham goes, you know what? Even if somebody rose from the dead and that was the witness, they still wouldn't believe if their hearts are hardened and shut off against the truth of Jesus and the gospel. So the first piece of evidence that Jesus lays out about the truth of his word and his identity was the witness of John the Baptist, but the people didn't believe. The second one is works, his works, his miraculous works. He says that God the Father bore witness about him through the works that he did. And by the way, the testimony of Jesus was was even, this testimony was even, was greater than John, right? But if the people didn't believe John, who was somebody they they saw in the flesh, they hung out with, they were even maybe baptized by, how are they going to believe God the Father who no man has ever seen? Jesus is almost setting up a, a logical argument here, saying you didn't believe John, but the Father gave testimony because I do these miraculous works that show my connection with God the Father, but, but, you, won't, but you won't believe that. You saw John and you didn't believe his words. You can't see the father because he's spirit. How will you believe his words when you see evidence of his words through the miraculous works that I do? The reality is that the people were blind to the works of Jesus because God's word and God's love, we told, had not transformed their minds and their hearts to believe. John 10, verse 25 and 26. We're gonna get there someday. Jesus says, the works, (coughs) excuse me, that I do in my father's name, they bear witness about me. But he says, and again, this is five chapters from now. He says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So we talked about this on Monday when we had our first Doctrine Deeps class, which was great, by the way, for those of you who were able to make it. Um, God has to regenerate your heart before you're able to receive the truth that Jesus is Lord and savior of the world. Jesus told this guy named Nicodemus, a Pharisee in John chapter three, verse three, he said, look man, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So when God removes our our old sin nature, he implants a new nature in us. That's regeneration and we are able to to see the work of Jesus. We're able to, to believe him, right? It's kind of like if you've ever seen somebody, if you've ever seen a before and after person, somebody who didn't know Jesus and then somebody came into a, a, a saving relationship with Jesus, they've been radically transformed by the gospel. And, you know, you might want to think, that's cool. They found something that worked for them. And that's what a lot of people think when they see people that go through that life transformation, Right. God has to change your heart to believe that, in fact, it was none other than Jesus who has worked in them. Right? That's what Jesus is getting at here. When he says, look, John the Baptist was a witness to the truth of my words and my identity. The works that I've done, these miraculous works, are a testimony from none other than God the Father who is working through me. You're not believing me. And then the third evidence is is the word. The word of God written Jesus points out that if they, if they truly had believed the words of Moses, they would believe him because Moses wrote about Jesus, right? So you think of the first five books of the Old Testament and you think of all the things that are written about in terms of the sacrificial law and how the priests had to atone for the people's sins and you think about how all of these things were just pointing to Jesus eventually being coming the sacrificial lamb that was going to take away the sins of the world, right? All of these things were what we call shadows and types of what was coming. Moses was writing about that, right? He was writing about Jesus. And by the way, the Jewish people, they're they're big on stuff like heritage. Big on heritage. They studied the words of scripture that Moses had written. Because Moses was one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people, they thought... Hey, we're connected with Moses. Moses is our guy. Moses is our forefather. They thought that's what justified them. Jesus was saying, look, if they had read the words of Moses correctly, they would see that I am the fulfillment of all Moses was writing about. See, because the the people thought they believed Moses' words. Jesus is pointing out that if they didn't believe his words, they were not actually believing Moses' words because Moses was writing about him. All the ancestry lines connecting them back to Moses, they were not enough to change their hearts into receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior over their lives. They needed the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit so that their eyes could see, so that their hearts could believe. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills. That's the law he's talking about. Trying to keep the law as a way to be justified. But he says the Spirit gives life. In other words, listen, you could memorize every word of Scripture like, some of these Jewish scribes and theologians and smart people did, right? And still not be saved if you didn't believe the one who the words of scripture were and are all pointing to. Does that make sense? So you got all these guys that memorized scripture. They knew the Old Testament. They could quote it to you. They had all the nuances, but they didn't believe that these words were pointing to Jesus, which means they didn't believe they just had, they just could write memorization books. How to memorize a chapter in less than five minutes, right? That's what they had. And it goes deeper than that because they, they deceived the people into thinking that what matters is that I know and I can read and I can memorize the word. It's different than believing the word, Right? You know, it's funny when we think about the words of Scripture. And it's it's interesting when we start, if you've ever, if you've ever sort of paused and said, Do I believe these words? You know, I open, I open the Bible maybe for a morning devotional. Maybe I'm in a growth group or a community group. I open God's word, I come on Sunday, you know, I I scroll down my device, I'm reading the words of God, and then sometimes you'll feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you'll say, Do I believe these words? Do I believe the words that I'm actually reading? Is this just a fairy tale to me? Is this just a myth? What are these words? I was talking to a guy last week who's just a Marvel Universe fanatic, right? And I've like seen like Spider-Man one time, right? So I like, I'm not like super, I don't know the whole world. It's super confusing and I'm super old and you know, all this stuff, right? And, um, and this guy's talking, I mean, this guy's like, he's been reading comic books since he was like two, like he, there's not, like he was telling me about rare superhero characters that like had one comic written about them back in, you know, 1974. And I don't know, I was just fascinated by it. So I just kept pelting him with questions, you know, and all this stuff. Um, but this dude was like a Marvel scholar. He was a scholar, right? And at no time did he pull me off to the side and say, hey man, um, Thor's going to drop by our hotel tonight. Um, if you want to meet him, right? These were, these were comic books. These are just words, right? They're entertainment. There's nothing at stake. I say that to point to the fact that Jesus is saying, all of my words put everything at stake for you. All of my words are a matter of life and death. All of my words. That's what, that's what he's communicating to the people. Because the fact that they wouldn't believe him is no light thing. It was no casual thing. That's why when you even read these passages, these verses that we read today, and you get this sense of like Jesus almost like pleading and instructing and saying, no, 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 you're not getting this, right? I, I have witnesses. I have the works, the miraculous works I'm doing that show evidence that God has sent me. I have the, you have the words of Moses who said, there is going to be a coming deliverer and redeemer. I'm the guy." they wouldn't believe. So how does this help us? What is it about Jesus's words that make it a matter of life and death to believe him or not for us? Let's spend the rest of our time unpacking that. Here's the first point. They are sharp, they are piercing, and they are discerning. When we think about the words of Jesus, that's what we're talking about, right? The people, listen to this, the people were okay with John and yet they resisted Jesus. They were okay with someone who preached about Jesus, but when it came time to believe Jesus, they were out. They refused. And I think this is massively relevant for us today. The words of Jesus are great, right? Until you have to believe them and realize that believing them is costly. Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. He said, post-Eden, Adam and Eve, that's us, are willing to pay their respects to God, but they don't want him invading their turf. I think that describes us. I don't think it just describes the big bad world out there. I think it describes the church in here. It's easy to treat the words of Jesus like a self-help book, like a, like a balanced diet, right? Like a consistent workout routine, like a, like a healthy vitamin supplement or kind of a kind of a weekly check-in with your therapist or your doctor. But that is not the intention of Jesus' words. His words are not a a take it or leave it to each his own. You do what's right for you kind of a thing. That is not the kind of gospel that we preach here, right? I thought I was really cool because I bought a... I bought Melissa a new food processor for Christmas, romance is alive with us. Um, and so I was, I was really excited about it because I, I don't know, I don't use a lot of appliances, but new appliances are fun. And uh, so I, I got her the food processor, she wanted it, you know, I felt good about it, I reached in to take it out of the package and I didn't realize, I don't know what a food processor is, dude, you know? I reached my hand into that thing and I didn't realize it was like the bottom of a food processor is like ninja swords, right? (laughs) I reached into that and I basically sliced off all my fingers, you know, in that moment. And there I am bleeding all over the new processor. It was great. Christmas was great this year. I don't know how to transition from that other than to say this. God's word is like that. Hang with me. Um... For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword or food processor, (laughs) piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus' words are filled with gravity. They're filled with gravity. He's saying, listen to this, he's saying the kingdom of this world the Ashland way of life, it's coming to an end. That's not some doomsday prophetic thing. We don't do that here. You know that. That's not what that means. It means that you, by virtue of the, word, the saving words of Christ, and by virtue of you being someone who has received those words and have been changed by those words, and now who live within the kingdom of God that is with the ever expanding within the kingdom of the world, which represents all the old systems of living and believing, that is coming to an end. Like the words of Jesus mean something for your life that go beyond just everything I just described as him being somebody who's just convenient for you. That is not who Jesus is. That is not believing Jesus, right? We need to realize what's going on here. When Jesus comes into the scene and he is saying, I am here now and here is what is never going to be the same and here's what is getting pushed out. The borders are getting pushed out because I am bringing in a new kingdom. It's under new rule. We are all part of that. And by the way, we exist in that other kingdom to bring light that pierces through the darkness. Why? Because somehow we get to pierce through the darkness? No, because Jesus' words pierce through the darkness and they have been made alive in us. And we are the conduits for that, right? What is it about Jesus' words that make it a matter of life and death to believe them or not? They are sharp, piercing, and discerning words. Second, they have supernatural consequences for good. By the way, we always say, we always think consequences are are bad. Oh, the consequence of that. Well, the consequence of believing Jesus is good and it's supernatural in nature. They have supernatural consequences. Words with that kind of edge and that kind of gravity are going to have those kinds of consequences right believing jesus comes with some things it comes with the life of jesus and the love of god abiding inside of you you will become a seeker of god's glory in all that you do unlike the people he's describing who are only seeking the glory of another or themselves they couldn't break out of that the light of christ and not entered into the darkness of their hearts. Instead of seeking the glory of self, the glory of your family, the glory of your bank account, the glory of your friends, the glory of your toys, the glory of your real estate, the glory of your vacation, the glory of your toys and your cars and your houses and your clothing and your entertainment, you will seek first the kingdom of God. That is the effect of, That is the supernatural consequence of the living words of Jesus being made alive in you. Do you hear what I'm saying with that? That is the effect. That is the effect that they will have on you. You will ask this question when you believe Jesus. Is what I'm seeking reflecting an eternal or an earthly way of seeing myself in the world? And by the way, those those supernatural consequences consequences are are so much different for you than if you were just merely a spiritual person, right? Because see, a, a person who lacks the Holy Spirit will define spirituality from a contrived position based on their own set of beliefs, which will ultimately be about what serves them best. So whatever I want it to be, that's what it's gonna be. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, Romans 8.5. What this means is that people who believe Jesus will live their life with his words growing and expanding in their hearts like seeds that are planted in good soil and when they've been watered well, eventually they become these fruit-producing vines. That's the result of the words of Jesus, believing them and them living in you. So here's, I'm going to end with this question. Does your life reflect a Jesus who is believed? Not a set of rules, not a set of of principles, not a vague spirituality that's hard to articulate. Does your life reflect a Jesus who is believed, not just believed in? Because to take the words of Jesus seriously is to love Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. Here's the thing. You can be a student of God's Word, and you should be. You should be. But if you're a student of God's Word without being a child of God's Son, then you will be someone who knows some vague Bible verses, maybe. Someone who adopts a version of Christianity that's vaguely convenient, someone who determines what's right for your life in the vagueness of a contrived spirituality. To believe Jesus means to let his words govern your life and listen to this, give you a light where only darkness and lostness once existed, to give you a hope where only despair and cynicism once existed, and a love where only hate and anger existed. Jesus said in John 14, he said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Without the love of Christ abiding in you, you will use his words at best for your own gain when it's convenient, but never obey them out of a profound and growing love and gratefulness and fear for who he is. Today is the day for some of you to get acquainted and reacquainted with the words of Jesus. So here's how I would encourage you in that today. I would start off by saying this, be humble. Be humble. Don't make things up about Jesus or the Christian faith that feel vaguely true without the benefit of studying God's word and availing yourself of serious and good resources written by faithful men and women. We got a bunch of them out in those bookshelves. You also have the opportunity in our growth groups to do that together, not a solo activity. You also have opportunities to do that in our community groups. You also have two new opportunities to do that on Sunday mornings at Bible Basics upstairs, Doctrine Deeps once a month. This is us getting the words of Jesus more deeply inside of us, right? Avail yourself of that, be willing, listen to this, to be wrong about things you were taught that were maybe not incredibly orthodox, which means we're not right belief, or maybe just are so thin that again, your, your understanding of Christ and Christianity and his words, it's like, it's, like, it's almost like a vapor. It's, it's thin. It doesn't have to be that way. And by the way, this is a, a lifelong process too. So here's some encouragement in that. Be willing to grow deeper through serious lifelong immersion into the words of Jesus so that you can know his heart more deeply. You can feel his love more clearly. You can embrace his grace more clearly. You can understand his mercy more clearly. Don't live a life on the fringes of worldly spirituality that leaves you with no anchor when the storms of life threaten to drown you. You don't have to do that. They were doing that. Commit yourself. To what? To the life-giving beauty of God's words so that you don't merely believe in Jesus, but you believe Jesus, and you live a life of abundance and wholeness because you become more deeply acquainted with the lover of your soul. That is what is available in the beautiful, powerful, life-changing, life-giving words of Jesus, who gave himself so that we might know those words, be changed by them, and love the one who spoke them. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would continue to be that double-edged sword in our lives, that it, it would encourage us, it would teach us, it would instruct us in everything pertaining to life and godliness. It would also convict us. Lord, let us be a people of your word so that we don't adopt a vague and a worldly Spirituality that has no anchor, that has no grounding or firm footing, but that we believe the words of Jesus because we believe the person of Jesus is who he said he is. And in him, we find life. So Lord, encourage us this morning as we sing about these things that we affirm as our beliefs, these things that contain life, And Lord, encourage us as we scatter today, as we reflect on these life-giving words that have changed us, that have saved our souls, that have redeemed us. We pray that they would go deeper. They would continue to grow us in the love of Christ for God's glory, for the good of our souls, and for the light that needs to be shown in this community, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.